0: Hey everyone, I am Reva and just want to take a moment and thank you for listening to our studio podcast. Although we are here in Greenville, South Carolina, we are grateful for your support to see the message of Jesus go out all over the world. In case you are not aware, we have a YouTube channel, which you can find the link in our podcast bio. We hope you enjoy this week's talk and it encourages you and it helps you to be the human God designed you to be. So with that, let's get right to it. Well, we're going to do a part four to the Life of Daniel series. How many of you have been here for at least one of the weeks of the part fours? Most of you. It's all on the podcast. We have three weeks up. It's called Life of Daniel, part one, part two, and part four. Part three, sorry. Today is part four. And we are going to continue our conversation. We, how long this series is going to go. It may end today or it may continue To be announced is what I'm trying to say. There's so much going on in this book, and we have approached this conversation around the life of Daniel as more of a study. We're actually going through the book, going through different chapters, and we've covered a lot of this early on, but half of the book is roughly about the life of Daniel and a few of his friends. The other half of the book is largely dominated by visions and dreams and interpretation. For the point of this series, we're not spending a lot of time going over the visions, dreams, and interpretation. We're actually doing a study on the person of Daniel, and we're extracting different things out of his life to help us as followers of Jesus, but also even more of that, of how to function in this day and age in the context of culture. If you have been around me at any length of time, this is one of my most top topics that I talk about the most, It's culture. I, I'm a stu- I consider myself a student of culture. I don't ever want to stop learning about culture. I made a comment in the first gathering around how much the weather affects people's lives here in Greenville and South Carolina. When it snows, everything just shuts down. And I was not prepared for that when I moved here. And then when it rains, it's like, I don't think I want to leave the house today. I mean, I just was not prepared for stuff like that. And But it's interesting because every culture has its norms and customs. You go to California, if there's a sports game on during church, you don't go to church. You watch the sports game. That's just something that's more common in California. And then I recently, not recently, a number of years ago, spent some time in Siberia and went to go do a conference over there. And Candace and I, we went together in and- it was a unique experience, incredible experience, but I learned so much about a culture that I didn't really know, I didn't know anything about. It's just this place on the other side of the planet. And when we landed in Siberia, the plane, now for those of you that have flown, when you, when you land and get off the plane, it's usually the first row exit, second row exit, third row, all the way to the back. Not here, it's the back row wants to get off first while everybody else is trying to get off first. So it's literally just a mad rush to the exit door on this plane. So I took it upon myself. I felt it was my duty to bring some order to this plane on the other side of the planet. I stood up in the middle of the aisle and said, whoa, hold up. And I just said, go ahead. And I just kind of became the orchestrator. And it was just one of those experiences that I just thought, you know, there's another way to do this. And then I get off the plane. My wife and I, we go into the the terminal and we're waiting for a host to pick us up. And there's a little cafe and we've been flying a long time and thought, let's get something to eat. So I get in line and there's a guy in front of me and then there's us. He orders his meal. And then as he moves to the side, I'm looking at the menu, getting ready to make my order. Three people cut me off. I'm like, what is going on here? This is quite the introduction. And sure enough, they cut me off and they ordered and I finally, this is how we play here. You you use elbows, you get in line. So the host picked us up and I said, help me understand these two experiences. I've been here for 30 minutes and these are my two experiences. They said, oh yeah, here, nobody waits in line because it reminds them of communism era where you had to wait in line for food and bread and whatever thing you had. And I thought, that makes sense. So you see, every culture has norms and customs and traditions, and oftentimes what we do as believers is we actually don't take the time to study culture to study the nuance of it, the, the dynamics of it, the customs of it. You may not, you don't have to agree with it. It's not about that. actually taking the time to do due diligence to understand why the things are the way they are. So this series is to talk about the life of Daniel, but at the end of the day, I hope at minimum it inspires you to actually look at culture instead of running from it and separating yourself from it, you actually become a student of it. They actually want to understand why it functions the way it functions. And culture is such a big word. It's just this, we're out the culture. It's the culture. Culture is humanity. And all of its dimensions that in many ways is endless. We will never understand the depths, the width, and the height of a culture. But we can at least be students in the process. So what we've been covering in this series has been about the life of Daniel. We've been looking at God's view of humanity as well as why he's inviting us and why it's important for us to be participants in seeing him show up in culture and how deeply he loves humanity. We're talking about a man that was roughly alive, around roughly 2,500 years ago. As a teenager, he was captured involuntarily, brought into the Babylonian empire, and because he was a smart young man, and most likely came from a middle to upper class, they took him in and they wanted to train him in the language, and the culture, and the customs of the Babylonian slash Chaldean culture. So they brought Daniel in, and over time, in a matter of just a few years, in some cases, shorter than that, he became a major prominent leader in Babylon in late teens and early twenties. They actually elevated him such a point that he would oversee magicians and sorcerers. What's fascinating is that he was in a polytheistic culture, but he only had one God and he worshiped one God. But yet because of what was on his life, Nebuchadnezzar at the time in chapter one and chapter two elevated him to such a status to be one of his rulers. Last week, when we left off on part three, we left off with his three friends of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they are mentioned in chapter one, but we took our time and went through chapter three, specifically around the idea of acknowledging idol worship, a statue that you worship is very common in ancient civilizations and in Eastern traditions. In Western context and American context, the concept of an idol is so foreign to us, like, don't even know what the parallels are. So, last week, we took some time to go, what are some parallels of idol statue worship in ancient times and how did they relate to us today? We also talked around the idea that we, it's important that we don't lower our belief in God down to our life experience that our life experience does not shape our view of God. It's the scripture, the power of the Holy Spirit, and God is the one that shapes our beliefs about him. Why is this important? Because sometimes in life, things don't happen the way you want them to happen. And the danger is you begin to reshape God's shape of who God is to you because you've had an experience. For example, he didn't provide for me, so God is not really a provider. Or if you want to keep him in the provider category, then you create nuance. Well, he wasn't in the mood today. Or I didn't do enough good things and I just need to do a few more good things, then God will provide for me. This is what happened in theology when you use your life experiences to shape your perspective on God. So we talked about that. The last thing we talked about last week was that find friends and change the world. Find friends and change the world together. So at minimum, I want to inspire you. Get together with people in your life and pick a mountain that no one conquered and say, let's go conquer this mountain. Let's go change the world together. So that's where we left off. Now we're going to go to Daniel chapter 6. So if you want to get your apps open, get your Bibles open, or your notebooks open, this is another day to take notes. And one of the greatest compliments I've gotten so far today is I couldn't say anything back to you while you were talking because I was doing copious notes. And I thought, that's my love language right there. So I will take the silence in the room means you're taking copious notes. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, this is roughly 60 years later from where we left off last week. So we're jumping ahead six decades, and this is now the third king that Daniel has served underneath. When you look at the scope of his life, he served four kings. This is the third one. His name is Darius. There was one more after him named Cyrus, and we will not really touch much of him, but today we're going to focus on his time underneath King Darius. So we're going to pick up in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 6. Are you guys there? It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be over the whole kingdom and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one. That the satrap might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Verse three, then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps. I want you to make a note of distinguished himself because an excellent spirit was in him. Let's stop right there. The word excellent in different translations can also be understood as exceptional and extraordinary. So, excellence. Exceptional and extraordinary spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the entire realm. Verse 4. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor were there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. We're going to stop right here, take a few minutes, and kind of go back through what we just read. You'll notice that he distinguished himself because of an excellent spirit within him. The word spirit here is where we get the ruach, the breath, the wind of God. So God would definitely engage with Daniel and elevating his wisdom in excellence. But I wanna just highlight something. I don't want you to just only resort to the fact that God is the one that brings the spirit of excellence in my life. How many understand excellence does not happen overnight? Excellence is the ability to take what you currently have to the next dimension or the next level. Many years ago I had an intern and she actually lived in an apartment off of our house and she, she came from a really rough background, a really wild story. And it's one of our favorite stories of someone's life radically transformed and changed by Jesus and community and people. And even her husband she married. It's one of those stories that you just, you just bring joy to your heart. But this is prior to all that. She had a rough upbringing, rough background, and she was a single woman that was in a really hard, dark place in life. And she found a way to Candace and I and our church community, we just embraced her. And I was teaching on this principle of stewardship. And I was saying, steward, whatever it is, have you, whatever it is you have in your life. And, and usually when you think about excellence or stewardship, most people think of money. i got to have money to do all those things. Actually, it has nothing to do with money. And so she came to me a little, like, I'm not sure how to, how to do I don't have any money. I don't have, I don't have much in life. And I said, what do you have? And she said, I have a bike. I said, all right, we'll figure out something with the bike. So I don't know, a week went by, two weeks went by. She came back and she said, Eric, this is what I did. I, I went and cleaned my bike really good. That was her mode of transportation. I cleaned it, I greased it, I got everything clean. I went, and, went to the store and bought some polish. And I polished the frame. I got it as clean and as best as I possibly could make it. What, she, what did she do? She took something in her possession and took it to the next dimension. You see, what excellence does, excellence has the ability to take whatever resources, material you have in your life and take it to the highest degree that you can take it. Now, you might look at the person next to you and they have a lot more resource, a lot more finances. It's not a question of what you did with ex- not excellent and what they did with excellent. Excellence is the ability to take what you have and take it to the next dimension. Michael J. Fox once said, I am careful not to confuse excellence with perfection. Excellence, I can reach for. Perfection, it's God's business. So we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about stewarding things in your life. There's verses in scripture that allude to this idea that if you do things excellently, someday you'll stand before kings. What's the point? Steward the little things in life. Never compare your world with someone else's world. Because your job is to make anything in your life to the dimension of excellency. Some of you are aesthetically amazing in the area of excellence. Some of you are excellent in the area of organization. Some of you are excellent, extraordinary in how you communicate. Some of you are exceptional. When you build a business, each one of you had one or more areas in your life that you can bring excellence to, bring make it exceptional, and be extraordinary about so I want to encourage you. We've got to end the conversation around God is okay with whatever. We have this thing like he doesn't care. No, he fully cares. He cared deeply about aesthetics, he cared deeply about organization. He cared deeply about color. He cared deeply about flow and life, things happening. And we have this notion in our head that God doesn't care that much about excellence. He cared so deeply about it. In fact, if he didn't have excellence, creation would be utter chaos. It wouldn't work. None of it would work. It would have been the worst experiment ever. But because he was exceptional. He was excellent and obviously extraordinary. Creation is one of the most, if not the most beautiful part of who God is because we visually get to see it, experience it, and we get to see excellence all over it. So I want to elevate, I want to call you to a higher level of excellence in your life. You may be at a job right now that you do not like. Guess what? Whatever it is you do, take it to the next level. When you go in this week, say, okay, how can I elevate this and make it more excellent, exceptional, extraordinary, extraordinary than it's ever been? Take the time to think it through. Because God took some time to think about creation. I should probably create water before I create fish. If I'm going to create lungs inside of being, I need to create oxygen first. You see, God thought about all these details. I want to challenge you. That's elevated. Are you guys with me? So it's not about perfection, but it is and can be about excellence. So what we have here, we have the beginning of what we, it's the, the stage is being set for Daniel. We're starting to see the elevated version of political corruption. And this should not come as a surprise. We shared last week or I shared last week. If you're not feeling tension or, or dissonance or resistance in culture, you're most likely going in the same direction as it. It's important to understand that because sometimes you think, man, God's gonna bless me and everything is just gonna be just fine. No, sometimes His blessing means more persecution. Some of you are like, really? I didn't know that. Why did I sign up for this thing? Sometimes His favor in your life creates more resistance. So it's important to understand that because when you start getting favor in culture, there are going to be people around you that want your spot, that want your space, that want your seat want your political power, want your influence, and want your access to all the resources and finances that you have access to. People will be out to get you. So this is what's happening. Daniel is now not just one of the governors and satrap. He is one of the three that work directly with the king. So he is in the top three most powerful people in the entire empire. And people could find no fault with him. I want you to think about that for a moment. This is a polytheistic culture. And you don't believe in a polytheistic reality. You believe in one God and you worship one God. And you would think it would be easy to find fault with you. But they couldn't find any fault. What an amazing place to get in life where you can't, no one can find fault in you. They search. Your enemies, your opposition are looking for where you fail. They are looking in combing through every detail of your life and they could find no fault so this is their conclusion well we have to get rid of him so now we need to create a law that puts him in a position where he disobeys it so they came up with an idea and the idea was this they went to King Darius and said, hey, we have an idea. We said, we think we should create this 30-day memorandum decree that basically said in the entire empire for all the known world, they, if they want to petition or worship, they have to petition you, King Darius, just for 30 days. And what's even kind of mind-blowing, it's not shocking, but King Darius thought, I like that idea. That's a good idea. That just reveals you the frame of mind of people that we're dealing with here. And so Darius said, that sounds great. And so Darius signs the decree, the decree goes out, and this is where we're going to pick up in verse, let's see here. I lost my spot for a second here. We're going to go to verse 14. I'm sorry, please forgive me. I'm going to back up just one step. We'll get to verse 14 in just a minute. So King Darius makes the decree. And Daniel hears about this decree. Now remember, he is in the dimensions of the king's court. He hears about this decree. And what Daniel does is he goes back to his house. And the way they describe his house in scripture, his house was in view of of at least the human population. He opens his windows and he prays three times that day. And the people that got the king to write the decree, they caught him. They created a law that he would have to disobey. And so they go back to the king. But what I want you to notice here is look what Daniel does in response to the decree and look at what he doesn't do in response to the decree. The first thing he does is he does what he always does. Now here's the challenge. Someone asked me after the first gathering and said, at what point are practices and rhythms in our relationship with God, what if they're just routine? The challenge is the modern in modern understanding of our time of prayer, our time in God's Word, is so built around the idea of being inspired and emotionally charged. So when we don't feel inspired or we don't feel emotionally charged, we don't do it. When you study the history of practices and rhythms in the Christian faith, it's not until the last roughly few hundred years that the idea came that, oh, I do this because I want to do it. The problem is we're living in a modern era, like I only do things I want to do. When it comes to your faith with God, there are things that need to be routine and disciplined, whether you feel like it or not. So the idea of Daniel praying three times a day, I guarantee you there were days and weeks he was like, what am I doing? I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing by being committed. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what you ate for lunch 21 days ago? No, why? It okay, nour- it, but it nourished you. You eat three meals a day, typically speaking. You don't remember what, you just do it because it's what you have to do. You see, sometimes practices in our walk with God aren't some culinary experience. It's just, I need to eat. And sometimes we base our experience with God like, well, that, wasn't, that was kind of boring. That was kind of flat. I read three chapters today, and it was just a bunch of words. Guess what? It still nurses you. It still feeds your soul. It still penetrates through all the layers and dynamics that you have as a human, and it penetrates in. So here in this moment, Daniel responds by doing what he has always done, and that is pray three times a day. And we also learn in Scripture that he's been doing this for his entire life. I wonder how many times we pray because something bad is happening or about to happen. But do you ever pray when there's no reason to pray? On, do you read the Bible only because something bad about to happen? Or do you read the Bible because it's what you do? We have a lot of people. It's amazing when something comes against you. We all get excited about prayer. Oh, man, i got to go to the prayer meeting today. I've been so busy, but tonight I'm going to that prayer meeting. Tonight I'm going to download the latest Kindle book on prayer, the top best-selling book on prayer. Why? Because you need it now. The question is, do you need it? Can you recognize your need for it when there's no need for it? So I hope at minimum today you understand that going to pray to God is something that should be practiced in your life frequently and regularly. So when the enemy comes at you, or a law is written against you, you just do what you've always done, is you pray. Okay. And notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't stop praying. Like he doesn't keep his windows shut. He's like, okay, I'm just going to reveal to the world what I've always done since the day I was born. I pray. And if you really want to geek out on Daniel, go study the Jewish tradition of how they raised up their children, the Hebrew tradition of how they raised their children around the idea of prayer and the word of God. It will blow your mind. It will make you realize I have no discipline in my life. I'm just kind of winging it through my emotional moments, not realizing it is so embedded into this is what you do. And I believe if we want to engage in culture, you need to develop practices and rhythm that are unshakable and they last a long time. The other thing that's attributed to Daniel in this verse we read, I got to get moving through that. I'm, just taking, I'm stalling on some few words here. There's a word to he, Daniel was faithful. We think faithfulness can be demonstrated in a year. Man, I've been at it for a year. Good for you. (laughs) Try 70. Try 50. Faithfulness requires a commitment to a set of ideas for long, extended periods of time. I am now entering the space of my own psychological framework. I've been faithful to my wife for 20, almost 27 years. You see, you can't say faithfulness when it's been a couple years. But when you start racking up decades, then you're like, okay, we're getting into a new space here. And I want to challenge you. in you'll walk with God, being faithful to him for a month. That's great. Let's celebrate it. Let's believe in a champion. It. Let's put it on social media. But what I want to see in us as the people is 50 years from now, 20 years from now, I'm still praying. I'm still reading my Bible. I'm still committed because faithfulness can only be experienced over extended periods of time. Okay, I'm going to keep moving here. This is going to be the longest Sunday gathering if I don't continue. So they catch Daniel in his moments of prayer. They go back to the king. They say, hey, king, you remember this decree that you wrote? And he said, absolutely. I've really enjoyed the attention for the last few weeks here. I love all this petitioning. And he didn't say that. I'm just paraphrasing him there. And Darius said, I love it. Thank you so much. And they said, well, we found somebody that's actually disobeying that decree. He said, who is this guy? Who, Who is this person? And they say, Daniel. Now, look at this verse. Let's go to verse 14. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed. Make a note of that, deeply distressed. Let me ask you a question. Do you get distressed over something you don't care about? No. You get distressed over something that is important to you and matters to you. And set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. So here we see Darius does not like the fact that Daniel, one of his top three guys, is heading to the lion's den. That was the punishment for not worshiping or petitioning the king. That Darius spends all day trying to figure out political schemes to undo this decree he made. And then you will learn that he couldn't go back on his decree because if he did, then the next decree would not have as much authority as this one did. He couldn't go back on it. So now he's stuck in this predicament of putting what I would say hit an intimate friendship and in being punished in the lion's den. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is the law of Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel, cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Stop right here. I want you to get this. This is a polytheistic king. Here in this moment, you begin to see this idea of one God entering into his framework, into his worldview. So much so that he thought, you know what, Daniel, your God is going to deliver you. To me, this is huge. I want you to look for clues like this when you're in culture. Look for moments where all of a sudden your faith, your understanding of who God is entering into the paradigm of the people that you're doing life with. And so the king said, your God will deliver you. I'm going to continue the story. So they throw him in the lion den. They roll the stone over and they put the stigmat ring, which is basically the authority of the king. And no one can remove the stone unless you've been given permission by the king. What happened, the king fasted all night long. She, at my kind of fasting. I fast 365 nights a year. It's really successful. I haven't broken it once. I like fasting like a king. You just don't eat at night. It's just the way it works. Eat in the day and don't eat at night. Anybody with me on that one? So we're gonna start fasting tonight, okay? Can we make a, a one-year commitment out of the church? So you fast all night. And they wouldn't even bring him musicians to comfort him. He said, I don't want nothing, because he's in agony over his friend. Isn't it kind of crazy that a king like this is so concerned for the welfare of one of his people? And I want to propose to you, this was a deep friendship. This was a relationship that had mutual benefit to each other. This was an intimate space. And so the next morning, Darius wakes up, and he runs down to the lion's den and he yells and he moves the stone. He yells in to Daniel, He's there? Did your God deliver you? And what's amazing is in this moment, Daniel replied back and said, long live the king. Yeah. So here we see Darius' intimate affection for Daniel, but now we see Daniel's affection for the king. It's, it, it's, it's special. It's a special moment. I want to propose to you, some of your best friends will not be in this room. It's great if they are, there's no issue with that. But for some of you, some of your most closest relationships will be in a completely different context and culture. So I want you to open up your heart and your mind to the reality that that is right there. He proves you can be friends with someone that had a very different view of everything in existence. But there was a mutual friendship here. And I believe this is powerful. And I believe we can take a note from Daniel's playbook and recognize that we can actually be in deep friendship and to walk with people that see the world completely differently than you do. So they pull Daniel out of the lion's den. And now Darius is very upset because he had been tricked into this thing. He is livid. So he instructs to go find the people, the governors and satraps that came up with this decree to go find them. They bring him in. He throws them into the lion den. But not only that, he gets their wives and their children. That's an intense punishment. I don't know if that ever crossed your mind, but that's pretty intense. He throws them in the lion den, and the Bible said that their bodies never hit the ground. They got devoured. And what happens next? I want to read this to you. This is down in uh, verse 25. Then Darius the king wrote to all the people, nation, and men of every language who were living in all the land. May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. So the result of this, Darius said, we all need to worship this one God. It's phenomenal. I want to end with a few thoughts and then we'll close. What I want you to also see in the story that Daniel was in, they say he was roughly in the Babylonian captivity for around 70 years. When he was thrown in the lion den, he was north of 80 years old. But what I want you to see from chapter one, where we meet Daniel, all the way to chapter six, is roughly a little over 60 years. Daniel served three different kings and there would actually some empire shifting taking place. What I want you to see, he was in one of the most, my perspective, darkest polytheistic empires known to man. He lived deep within it and he was actually a leader in it. And he was able to remain faithful to God. What does that tell us? It's possible. It's actually possible to be deeply embedded inside of a culture and remain faithful to God. And when we can learn through his life, the practices and rhythm that he did helped him to remain true to that. One of the challenges we have, the shadow side of this entire four-part series, is not just affecting culture, but culture swallows you up. That's the shadow side of this conversation. That's the shadow side of everything I've shared with you the last roughly four times I've talked about this. It's the shadow side of this, we get so inspired and we run out and we get in culture, we get involved, and in pretty soon we can't tell what's not us and what's them or what's the culture. So I want you to understand this is not some light topic. This is actually something that requires depth, that requires faithfulness, that requires excellence, that requires being devout and purposing in your heart. So some of the characteristics of Daniel, I want you to write this down. Excellence, wisdom, faithful, devoted, and purity. I'll read them again. Excellence, wisdom, faithful, devoted, and purity. Last thought that I believe is just a really fun side note of this whole story. This was King Darius. By the time King Cyrus comes around, Cyrus, he had the idea, you can find it in the book of Ezra. He had the idea of restoring the temple that King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed 70 years prior. And he said, I want to fund the entire temple rebuilding project. So this is Cyrus, so four kings earlier, Nebuchadnezzar that took all the artifacts from the house of God. And they say it was roughly around 5,000 artifacts-ish. And Cyrus gave all the artifacts back to the Hebrew people, helped fund the project to rebuild the temple. What I want you to get out of this is when you're involved in culture, it's a long game. It's a long game. You ever had a jar you try to open? And you spend so much time, you, just can't, you get the you know, wet towel, you get a dry towel, you lick your hand, and you try to get that jar open, and it just won't open. Anybody have that experience? Then you hand it to somebody else, and they're like, it just pops open. So frustrating. And what I tell that person, I loosen the jar. You see, culture's a lot like that. You're just loosening the jar. You may not see that lid come off yet, but you are loosening the jar. You are actually involved in actually shifting things. Hopefully you see it in your lifetime. Hopefully you see it in your kid's lifetime. But if not, remember, you're in for the long game. If you want to see it, then you have to be committed to this. And here we see the result of Daniel's beautiful commitment to serve some wicked men. And the result was one of them said, I want to rebuild your place of worship back in your home. So why don't you stand? Thanks for listening to today's talk. If you're interested in learning more about studio here in Greenville, you can go check out our website, studiogreenville.com, and you can give us a follow on Instagram. Our handle is studio.greenville. Have a great week.